it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And thanks to our malt mates at Cry Malt, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. Or actually, this week, alcohol more generally, as I speak with Andrew Willsmore, CEO of Alcohol Beverages Australia. Regular podcast listeners will know of our frustration sometimes with some of the facts, heavily inverted commas, uh, spread by what can only be described as the anti-alcohol lobby and the strategies they employ to do so. When I received the first copy of the ABA's new email newsletter this week, it was interesting to see some of the information it shared, not least of which was that for a country that is viewed as being a nation of heavy drinkers, the World Health Organization has released data showing that on the probability scale of dying between the ages of 30 and 70 from cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, and other non-communicable diseases, Australia ranks sixth lowest in the world. Now, There are confounding variables, and I'm sure that medical experts can point to those, including we're a wealthy nation with good health care, and so our risk of dying is going to be affected by that. But it's also worth considering that data in regard to some of the alarmist claims made around alcohol. Given alcohol is so easily demonised, it was interesting to see that the ABA was charged and had taken on the message of putting a positive case for moderate consumption, and I stress moderate consumption and also understand some of the messaging they were using. I thought that would be worth learning a little bit more about the organisation and its work. It's a great chat with Andrew, and I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Andrew Wilsmore, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Pleasure to join you, Matt. We might have to rename this one Alcohol as a Conversation, uh, given (laughs) that you are the Chief Executive Officer of the Alcohol Beverages Australia. Yeah, it's... um blessed to be uh this is a wonderful industry it's looked after most of its life and uh as i said i'm just chuffed to be uh to be i guess head of the association that represents all of its interests you know when when i say that alcohol is a conversation or beer is a conversation alcohol really is um you know the the cornerstone of a lot of conversations that uh, australians have oh it's the great bringer together of people isn't it that's uh whether you're gathering in the pub for an after work beer or celebrating a a significant moment in your life it, it just brings people together and starts conversations so uh, it, it's absolutely entwined in a positive way and for most people uh, for most of the time and for most Australians and we'll come back to that because that's one of the things I wanted to talk to it about but for, for those who first of all don't know you and also don't know too much about what Alcohol Beverage Australia is um, you've yourself have had a very interesting career um, before coming uh, to uh, the ABA. Um, you've worked for Woolworths as the head of risk and reputation. Uh, you've, you've worked in policy and government affairs for Winemakers Australia. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started doing what you do. Yeah, I was a young kid at university and the Australian Hotels Association had its big national conference. And back in those days, with roughly 2,000 publicans and hotel general managers came together and I uh, signed myself up for their uh, week's work in their national conference. They must have liked what they saw because uh, <laughs> straight after my last exam, I headed to Canberra and uh, was looking after the ACT branch and worked my way up there to become the deputy director in the national office. So you're right, I've done hotels, I've done wine, I've done 
the liquor side of it with Woolies. That's a, the industry certainly looked after me for most of its life. When we have these conversations, sometimes uh, you know, age and context is is quite relevant. So you know, when you signed up uh, in in university, uh, what year was that uh, roughly? No, it was back in '97, so quite quite a while back there. Okay, I'll, I'll, well, I trump you then, so I can consider you a, a young man, uh, at least comparative to me. Um, <laughs> so what, what was the attraction, uh, other than being a uni student and thinking that the uh, Hoteliers Conference wouldn't have been a bad gig? Uh, no, that was pretty much it. It was, uh, it was a very I was obviously, as a young university student, um, uh, the enjoyment of a beer and other drinks was a big part of my life, so it, uh, it certainly made sense to try and find a job that... Uh, it was sort of that I was familiar with, but you seem to have gone on, um, you know, in in policy and uh, you know advocacy roles, um, you know, moving on because you you did move on from the hotels association, which is a very important lobbying role um, and advocacy role for for hotels, um, National Farmers Federation, and uh, then the Winemakers Federation, which all seem to have a consistent government relations theme. Yeah. Uh... I think it's one of those. You become a victim of circumstance. So when you move to Can- <laughs> you move to Canberra, you sort of get caught up in that whole world. And uh, and it's it was fantastic to be part of some of those big conversations when there was big discussions around tax reform, or when I was with the farmers, a whole new drought reform policy. So you you really feel like you're part of the the national conversation and and, I, and have a chance to change things for the better for your industry that you look after and the, and you fall in love with. What was your degree in? Just out of interest. Yeah, it was a commerce business degree. Right. So, so I, yeah. So I sort of fell into politics. I didn't have. I was certainly not a uh, involved in politics at university anyway. But it just becomes part of the scene when you move to Canberra. <laughs> so in America, they'd say you're in the Beltway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Alcohol Beverages Australia then. Yeah, we were formed about seven years ago. Um, it was basically it's all of the large major producers and retailers of alcohol. So a big breweries, distilleries, winemakers, and the three big retailers. So I guess the four members, and we've got the other subsector associations as well. So the Brewers Association, uh, the craft distillers, uh, and the winemakers. So they're all sort of members of ours. Um, and we were largely formed because we felt that the policy environment was were being unfairly done by. So our opponents in anti-alcohol were were really seizing the agenda, and, and none of those subsector associations really had the, I guess that that role on behalf of the whole industry to talk or respond to it. So a large part we were set up to to obviously push back against some of the things that anti-alcohol was saying and to put some evidence and some context into the policy debate and into the media. But we also were charged with talking about the positives. It was, it was sort of being painted so negatively all the time that there was a, a real opportunity for us to start telling the positive story. And, and as we'll talk about later, the vision is a big part of that. The ABA is um, it, it's brand agnostic. It's, uh, you know, liquid ag- agnostic, for example. Like it, you don't champion any one um, drink. It's, it's all of the uh, alcoholic beverages um, and representing them generally. Yeah, correct. It's uh, so it's not the, the, we leave the categories to look after themselves. Um, we take on the issues which are across all of the industry. So the big matters that's things like the NHMRC drinking guidelines, uh, the national alcohol strategy. That's uh, the discussions on minimum unit pricing. They're the areas where it's an all of industry has a position on. The one thing we don't talk about is tax because that is uh, is quite divisive. <laughs> And, and Even just, amongst your members. <laughs> there's just no way to get a grievance, so uh, we leave the categories to, to fight that one themselves. 
Uh, it'd be like a, uh, you know, a, a uh, dysfunctional family's Christmas uh, lunch, wouldn't it? Uh, you know, it, it starts out all okay, and then the, the, it comes around to tax. <laughs> well, the one thing we do agree on in tax, and this is what we can talk about, is that we pay too much. Um, you know, we've got some of the highest taxes in the OECD, and we really do need to, you know, we need to, you know, a big part of the vision talks about the burden that tax presents to us. And if that could be lowered, uh, it would really supercharge investment and jobs in the industry. So that's something we, we all agree on, but just how that looks, that's the thing we don't. It, it, it's interesting, and I'd not anticipated um, going into tax but it's a really interesting conversation to be had because we do have one of the highest uh, tax rates in the world but at the same time we're also pretty good drinkers on a national on an international level as well so the high level of tax doesn't seem to have you know the the way our um, economy is structured is we seem to be willing to spend that money for the, the, the various alcohols that we consume. You're right. I remember when I was a university student, what I paid for a, a, a schooner of beer back then is very different to what I paid now. So mm. you're right. You're right. Australians have. I mean, we're lucky. We're in a country that has a very high standard of living, so we're able to pay for good things. And uh, in the industry, we have seen that reduction in per capita consumption. So for us to maintain that value growth, it's been an investment in premium products and moving people, particularly in your industry, to explore you know, just what that craft scene offers, with, which is a real local experience, but also a very high quality experience too. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I guess I was coming to, you know, does almost our willingness to drink at the prices that tax makes it undercut that broader argument a little bit? You know, is, is you know, does it fuel some of the anti-alcohol lobby's concerns that lowering the price will see even greater consumption in, in, in some areas of the uh, community? My belief is that the Australian drinking culture has changed for good. Like uh, moderation is now the new norm. Um, we might still hold a, a, you know, a view of ourselves as a heavy drinking nation, but the stats don't back that up anymore. It's quite clear that we're at... Uh, you know, 50-year lows in our per capita consumption. Australians' association and relationship with drinking is not just about the drink. It's about uh, the, you know, the social situation you're involved in. It's an accompaniment to food or with social gatherings. So there's not really the, the cultural desire to drink to get drunk anymore. And I think a large part that's because we've had so much innovation in our product. There's so much out there to choose and taste and, and really savour. And that's exactly what our breweries, winemakers and distillers are all, all looking for. They don't want their product to be abused. So I think we've, we've got a real once-in-a-lifetime. There's been a huge change. Our younger generation coming through is, uh, is, is the most responsible that we've ever seen. Um, so I think, this, uh, I think it's gonna, that, that trend is only going to continue. And do you think tax has had any impact on uh, – And because I will come back to some of these changing dynamics, but just while we are talking about tax, do you think tax has had an impact on – the consumption, or do you think it is just changing community attitudes? If you look at the growth, and particularly in your industry, the growth of that non-alcohol or low-alcohol products, um, I think it is a cultural change that's taken place. That's the driving factor, rather than high prices. Um, you know, I'm pretty, I'm 100% convinced of it. There's a massive cultural change that's taken place in Australia about our relationship with with alcohol. Just um, b- before we leave the ABA as a as a body, um, you did mention some of your your member groups. Is the you know, some of the 
craft um, associations like the um, Independent Brewers Association or if there are small winery groups or small um, distilling groups, are they under the ABA umbrella? So the Australian Distillers Association is, um, and we work very closely with the IBA uh, on a lot of issues. So we, we maintain very close relationships with them, um, almost to the point that they're regarded as a member. But um, but they, as you as everyone's probably aware, with the cancellation of a couple of their events, it's uh, it's put a bit of a strain on their resources. So we hope in the future, as they continue to grow and, and the industry continues to grow, for, to welcome them into the ABA tent as well. Now let's uh, step. In, into the thing that I, actually I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, but the, the thing that actually made it um, quite relevant is the I, I was reading during the week um, after an email that you'd sent out uh, the Vision 2030 document um, talking a little bit about the you know the, the, the forward planning vision for the alcohol beverages industry. Do you want to just give a little bit of context around what that document is? Well, it was a large part about trying to tell that positive story of our industry, and uh, and we had to have, we actually had to do the numbers on this. We've, the industry's never collectively looked at its full value chain before, so we did some work with Deloitte Access Economics, who uh, who model where our industry is today, and I've got to tell you, it just blew me away the size of the figures that they came up with, and just how significant a contributor we are to the Australian economy. Now they they worked out that we deliver fifty two billion a year to the Australian economy. Roughly half a million jobs are supported by our industry. And we talked about taxes earlier. There's uh, 9.3 billion in taxes on our, specifically on alcohol that we uh, we support the, you know, the wider Australian community with. So some big, big numbers came out of that document. And it was really exciting to, to look at all the areas that the industry found as important. Um, it was about a six-month proje- project in total where we talked to every part of the value chain and working through basically roughly around eight or nine key initiatives that we wanted to drive ourselves. So there's things in there which are our own goals. So this is not just, a, I guess, the, the wish list of government. It's what the industry wants to try and achieve itself. One of those might be around the increase the representation of females in our workforce. But there is the partnership approach with government, which will really be the supercharger here. And that's sim- that can be simple things like, uh, for example, a single national responsible service with alcohol certificates. So we don't, you know, your breweries don't have to hold you know, multiple certificates every time they do a tasting in another state. Um, through to other big things such as supporting some of the the export growth drive that we've got built into this. So it uh, it does look to the future for what ten, ten years from now will deliver. So it's a it's a vision twenty thirty document. It's one that we hope the whole industry has a sense of ownership in. So. We'd love every part of the sector to, to take a deep dive into it, feel very proud of what we're contributing, not just at an economic level, but also at a social and environmental level, and uh, and be positive about our future. It, it's interesting when, when I hear you talk about the economic um, arguments, and it, it, it's one of the things that any industry association has to do these days, you know, articulate the value that it provides uh, in an economy that looks so much at economic factors. But I guess, you know, it, it's also something that, you know, the anti-alcohol lobby has learned as well. And for every report that the alcohol lobby uh, can come up with saying this, the amount of jobs and the amount of investment that we create, you're facing one from the opponent um, you know, arguments of saying, well, here are the costs of alcohol. Is that something that you factor in when you look at the the, the, the cost to negate those arguments? We definitely can't bear our heads that there are people who are harmed from, who, you know, who are drinking at harmful levels and it's uh, not good for themselves and the people that they're around. So there is a cost to 
uh, not just to the individual but to the community at large. The good thing is when we looked around globally at what Australia has done in terms of addressing those harms, we're, we're pretty much world leaders. We've got an incredibly strong uh, advertising regulations here with the ABAC code. Uh, we've got Drinkwise, which has led a significant cultural change across Australia. Um, and there's a range of retail initiatives around ID25 and their online code of conduct, which has, uh, which was a, the you know, first country in the world to have created that. And now that's been taken globally with many other countries adopting it. So we, we do lean into the fact that our product causes harm when consumed in, uh, when, when abused. Uh, but we do very, do a lot of work to try and mitigate those harms as best we can. Interesting, you mentioned ABAC and Drinkwise, and you know I have a fairly healthy uh, scepticism about a lot of, you know, things that could easily be pointed to as window dressing. But when you look at those two things particularly. They have been incredibly successful, and you know, I, I think the success of the Drinkwise campaign was when Fair adopted essentially one of their campaigns from ten years ago. You know, your kids absorb your drinking campaign, and almost took that message as their own when they ran their own campaign more recently. Yeah, spot on. I mean, and that's the great thing about Drinkwise. It's well, every bit of work that they do, it's well researched. They do the consumer, they understand the consumers, they understand the behaviours, which is even more important. And that's where their campaigns differ from the governments, where they're really talking at people, whereas Drinkwise talks talks with the person to, to really drive that behavioural change, which you don't get with many other you know, government-led sort of campaigns. So the industry uh, should walk tall with what it's been able to achieve. And I think Drinkwise, I'm certain it was Drinkwise um, came to my attention when they had their campaign How to Drink Properly, um, which is probably even a little bit further you know, ago, just sort of looking at you know, the, the, the social impact on people from drinking inappropriately um, and really you know, sort of leading the, the, the way, as you said. Yeah, they'll, they'll explain it better than I will. But um, it was very much an edgy campaign, right? It was, yeah. it was targeting those new drinkers, the 18 to 25-year-olds. But it was talking to them in a language they understood. So it wasn't the the adult talking to the child. It was it was them. It was, it was talking in their own language. So it was making them reflect on what their drinking behaviours were. It was teaching them, you know, not, it wasn't saying that don't binge drink. It was actually saying here's how to drink properly and stay in control. Mm. Mm. And and ABAC obviously uh, has been incredibly successful in terms of, you know, one of the measures I look at is when you've got the anti-alcohol lobby using it, you know, almost as the arbiter of, you know, the, through precedent. Yeah, I was, I was talking with their executive officer, Jane Taylor, last week, and she was saying that the vast majority of complaints they get come from anti-alcohol. So um, they're professional complainants, and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and right. using the, the the body of precedent that ABAC, you know, when, when they're quoting back the precedents that ABAC has itself set, yeah, legitimizes exactly. you know the thing that they also love to um, criticise. Well, the other good thing about ABAC is that it, it's got the Australian government representing all state and territory governments on there as well. So it's a real co-commitment show it's a real example where industry and governments can work really well together to drive strong and lasting outcomes uh, to drive down those harms and and let's be honest we've uh, if you, I, I hear it from some of our international companies that they run these global ad campaigns that they actually have to adapt to make changes for to meet the Australian standards so you know that we've got the bar set quite high uh, here in Australia when global ad campaigns have to be changed to meet our requirements. 
it, it puts a lot of responsibility back on providers because it's a voluntary code, but the risk of an enforceable code um, is always in, in the wings if the industry doesn't get its own house in order. And that would be a disaster, right? Because you look at when states and states under their present legal licensing acts do have the power to make some of the changes that ABAC do, but they take six to 12 months to get a decision on some of these things. So whereas ABAC's got these very tight timeframes, as an industry, you've got a good level of certainty that what you're doing is going to comply with its pre-vetting scheme. And you've got, you know, a former Attorney General of Australia who's on the adjudication panel. So it's it's a very robust system. Now, looking at the Vision 2030 document, one of the things that really stood out for me was you do, you know, apart from enunciating the um, economic and financial contributions that alcohol makes, um, you do actually touch onto those elements that, uh, you know, for example, moderate alcohol consumption has been associated with a range of benefits for social and mental well-being because those are two of the areas that alcohol is most frequently and loudly criticised for having a negative impact on. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, it's it, we talked a little bit about this earlier when you look at the harms, it's the harms to others, but we've never actually, and this document doesn't do it, but it'd be a, a fascinating exercise as to, what is the value of uh, of of, of having toast, having a champagne at your wedding, and just improving that moment? What is the value of sitting around the barbecue with your mates, and uh, and what does that all? And what is what value would people put on that? And I think it'd be quite substantial because, as we talked at the very start, this it, it is such a bringing together of people, our product, and it enhances food, it enhances occasions. Um, that's that's all intangibles but where the vision focuses on the actual raw numbers of what we've got it's a double-edged sword um i i grant but you know that social lubricant aspect uh of alcohol where um there was actually a um, professor in the united kingdom who came up with dunbar's number that you know but for things like alcohol making social uh interaction you know, easier, 150 is most likely the most number of people we're able to interact with in a meaningful way. And, uh, you know, so Dunbar's number has actually been coined around uh, alcohol and uh, he looked at the release of um, dopamine and serotonin that small amounts and moderate amounts of uh, alcohol bring um, to facilitate our connectedness uh, with people and hotel, you know, through, through our hotels and just, uh, you know, socially. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's you're absolutely right. Social isolation is a big thing in Australia, and it's only you know, as we see more urbanisation, and of course we, the challenges we've presently got with a pandemic, um, it, it, it is a it's an important thing that Australia need, needs to lean into, and we as an industry are unique to be able to help try and solve some of those social isolation challenges that we face. You know, your local pub is regarded as a living room. Um, so it does provide, and the local clubs do so much for the community and allow people to be brought together on a range of purposes. Um, so it, you know, we do have an important role in keeping the society of Australia connected. But what are the challenges when, you know, I, I get a feeling that the mainstream media won't push back on the anti-alcohol lobby because it's, for want of a better description, um, well-intentioned. They're not asked the probing questions that the alcohol lobby is asked um, when, when they try and defend alcohol. Oh, you're, you're spot on. Like some of this, you know, the, some of the, you know, I've got to say, some of it's pretty dodgy, some of the research that our opponents use to try and support their case. You know, looking at things like you've know, got an alcohol researcher who 
added up how many uh, times her social feed was filled with alcohol. <laughs> we we actually covered like this a in the story yeah. because yeah, just, ignoring the fact that the algorithms are designed to feed back your interests at you and if you're an anti-alcohol researcher, automatically yeah. you're going to get those uh, in, in your feed. Yeah. Exactly. Just like if you're a fisherman, you're going to get stories about fish and boats and things like that. So, um, and, and you saw them this week talking about the retail sales number in Victoria as a, a need to further restrict online delivery and, and, how, and trading hours and various things like that. And none of it stands up to fact. Like we've seen all of the, you've seen the hospitality industry pretty much on its knees. The hotels, accommodation hotels are pretty much running on empty. Um, there's no duty-free sales at all. So they pluck one number but actually forget the wider context and they also forget that uh, people are generally drinking better so they're, they're it's a value number not a volume number so you're right those examples they're, they're easy great media grabs uh, very hard to contest in a, in a fast rapid 24 7 media environment and obviously we've got a good news story here and, and that's always hard to get up as well um, so it's it's not a you know it's not an not an easy policy or media environment that we operate in, but that's our role and that's what we're trying to change and, and get those perceptions out there corrected. One of the easiest criticisms I've seen levelled at, for want of a better term, you know, the alcohol lobby, uh, or you know, to use the emotive term that is often uh, used, big alcohol, is you know the comparisons with um, the cigarette makers of the fifties and sixties who denied and obfuscated and actually hid research that they had about the harms of alcohol. And there's an equivalence, um, it's almost a straw man argument in, in some ways, but there's an equivalence that they draw that, you know, well, big alcohol is exactly the same as behaving in the same way as the tobacco lobby does. Is I mean, is, is that a challenge that you've got to overcome? Or is- No, I, we're, we're a completely different story. I know that that's how they try to paint us. Um, and that's absolutely their modus operandi is to try and paint tar us with the same brush as tobacco. They compare us to it all the time. Um, you know, that, that's a, you know, most of these people involved in the research community who oppose our industry have actually come out of anti-tobacco because um, the funding basically dried up there. The government stunned everything they possibly could on tobacco. So there's, just, <laughs> there's just no more government funding. So a lot of them have fallen into either anti-alcohol or the anti-fat or anti-sugar uh, area, and they're using exactly the same playbook against us. But the, the positive thing is that, you know, not, unlike cigarettes, not every drink is going to cause harm. Um, we have a very good, as we've talked about already, the relationship with alcohol is very positive in this country. We've had massive cultural change, um, and I don't think, uh, and I don't think it lands well with the with the normal Aussie doesn't stand the call it the pub test right um, to suggest that their favourite beer, wine, or spirit is the equivalent of uh, smoking a pack of cigarettes. It just doesn't work. Although, and, and that's the line that I've you know um, I've written um, over the last twenty years is that it is different because not every you know whilst every cigarette did you harm, not every drink is the same. But I've noticed that the the, the rhetoric that is being put out on social media is very much talking about. Every alcohol, every drop of alcohol is carcinogenic. Yeah, that, that's absolutely there. That's where they're going with what they're trying to push. Um, they're cherry picking one of the, you know, looking at the health numbers. Then this is that's the one that they're going to be trying to draw out. But everything about this is relative risk, and that's the point we're trying to get across. Um, the relative risk of someone who's drinking uh, you know, ten drinks a week, which is the, the new national guideline, 
uh, versus someone who's a teetotaler is very minor. You, 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 it's, it's almost to the point of insignificance. So if people are aware of that relative risk versus the absolute risk which our opponents try to talk about, um, then it's a, it becomes a much more balanced and sensible conversation that we can have. Now, the other important thing is we, we don't deny or you know, don't deny that our product has carcinogenic properties for, for seven particular cancers. Um, but, uh, but, what may, but what new studies are starting to show is that there's not a linear curve to it. There's actually a bit of the J curve, which we see with cardiovascular and, and other benefits that we've got from moderate drinking. So, uh, again, some, you know, it's a, it is a contested space, this whole, uh, this whole area. We're fortunate in that we've got the National Health and Medical Research Council, who's done a lot of work and only recently completed their guidelines. And, uh, and it does show that you can have up to 10 drinks to, to, to reduce your risk. We think that was a bit, you know, we, we thought they cherry-picked that number, I've got to be honest with you, Matt. It was, uh, and if you look right into the detail of the NHMRC drinking guidelines, you'll find that that's actually advice for the, a woman who drinks three days a week. And they extrapolated that across the entire population because what the table shows was that there was actually going to be an increase in the advice for men and women if you're an everyday drinker. Um, so you know, we felt that they couldn't possibly live with that. So that's how we got the 10 a week. Okay. Is is there any research that you know of that you know that, that looks at somebody who drinks under that ten drinks a week about what the benefits to to them are, whether you know, whether it's uh, their happiness and contentedness with life and and those sorts of things um, that that can show some of the non health but you know mental health and uh, in, you know, interactive social interaction benefits that come with uh, mild consumption. Yeah, well, the NHMRC itself did uh, did look into this. So they did a lot of research and modelling, um, and not so much on the, the non-health benefits, but I, but what they did find was that on the health benefits, that so that where there was a detriment versus where there was a benefit, an Australian could have up to twenty four drinks a week and would have the same or cause mortality as a teetotaler or a non-drinker. So. Um, it's fairly substantial number. It's much bigger than the 10 a week that we've got as our guidelines. But basically, you could have that many drinks in a week and still have the same chance of dying as someone who's a non-drinker. Um, there has been a couple of other studies. I don't have them on hand, but there has been well-being studies, which which has tried to measure the effects of, of moderate consumption to the well-being of a person. Um, and it was quite substantial. It's not, not an insignificant uh, contributor to a person's well-being. Um, but I just don't have it in front of me at the moment. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, as I said, it was a free range. It's beer is a conversation. Um, now, you did make reference to the normal Aussie before and then the normal Aussie's attitude. I think that's always been a saviour for the alcohol industry is that, you know, government by and large, you know, is representative of the country and, you know, it's a country that did enjoy a drink. And so the wowser um, was easily dismissed. But as Australians moderate their drinking and become more aware, um, are some of these arguments that alcohol is automatically bad finding more fertile ground to grow? Yes and no is probably the answer to that one. When you you look at when we first all went into lockdowns, the, you know, as we came out of them, the first thing most state premiers did was go and pour a beer. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was thinking, yeah. But they, they're a generation older than, you know, those under 30s who have a very different relationship with alcohol. Yeah, it's still part of their lives, though. Um, so even though there's a, a the abstention rates for, for underage, are just, it just it's just every time I look at that number, it just blows me away about this younger generation coming through. But they're, they're a lot more cognizant about their health and well-being and their impact on the environment uh, more generally than any generation before us. So, 
you know, having enjoying a beer, wine, or spirit is still very much part of their lives, but they they're just not drinking at the at the volume levels that generations before them did. So they're a lot more mindful about the impacts of alcohol on their body, um, and obviously on their relationships with their friends and family. Now, given we're in dry July, we actually did pose some questions. Um, we, we were looking at how we cover um, dry July at, at Brews News, and one of the things that we looked at was trying to get some good statistics or good numbers around who's drinking um, and you know at what levels they're drinking at. And we reached out to the Foundation for Alcohol Research and ed- Education, um, and they came back and said that they actually didn't have that research you know, about how little, you know, whether people are drinking less um, or more, which surprised us a little bit. Foundation for Alcohol Research yeah. in their name. <laughs> they didn't have that information there. Yeah, um, but I, I, I do wonder, I was, I was interested um, when you said that a lot of the people who are researching in this area now, um, for want of a better term, um, <laughs> but come from uh, the, 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 the tobacco industry because I do wonder as we do see alcohol consumption rates decline and people's awareness of the ill effects of alcohol increase, you know, whether there will be a time that, you know, bodies like um, FAIR say, well, job done, tick, we can move on and look at an- another problem. Um, you know, do you... God, I hope not. I'd be <laughs> out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, do one-issue groups become self-interested and never really sort of say well look you know yes the problem's been solved or is it in their interest to constantly uh yeah that's where the funding is right so it's a contested space to try and receive all the government research dollars that that are farmed out the door um so the more that you can create a i guess a sense of uh, dilemma or urgency or that there's a a massive problem or it's out of control and something needs to be done about it, the greater your chances of securing that government grant, right? Um, so it's in, it's absolutely in their interest to be trying to make the problem that we've got seem larger than what it actually is. So what does the alcohol industry need to do then? You know, uh, obviously, as you've acknowledged, there are problematic areas um, within in. in you know, the consumption um, population. Um, what can the alcohol industry do better, do you think? As I, I think I said mentioned earlier, we, we, we're world leaders in what we're doing here and, and that's starting to come through with some of these numbers. So I'll, I'll give you a few since you couldn't get them from FAIR. So the age of initiation, that's the age of your first drink. Back in 2001, it was, you were 14 years of age was the, the average when you had your first drink. In 2019, it's now 16 years. Um a young someone who's a 14 to 17 year old, only 31 percent of them were abstaining back in 2001. Uh, 2019, 72.5 percent of them are now abstaining. So huge, huge increases there, um, and you're seeing big changes in in the daily, weekly, and monthly drinking habits. Those who are drinking at risky levels, um, which is more than four standard drinks on any one occasion, at least once a month. So. That's basically sharing a bottle of wine with your partner. That's fallen from 29% of the population down to 24.8% of the population over those uh, 10 years. So it's a huge cultural change taking place. And unfortunately, because of how our industry sort of presented in the media with the passed out teen on the street, uh, the, you know, the, the fighting you know, so that goes on and some of the other imagery that's associated with our industry, Australia's perception is that 
it's getting worse, that the drinking culture is getting worse, there's more binge drinking, there's more violence, when all the numbers are doing exactly the opposite. So I think what we need to do is probably just tell that good story a lot better um, and correct some of those perceptions that are building in people's minds because we have done a good job and we're going to continue to do it. And and I I guess how do we tell that story better? Um, Well, the good thing about our industry, it's customer-facing, right? So every brewery, distillery, winery and retail and hotel has the opportunity to tell that story, share it as part of your own barbecues or your own social gatherings, um, and just every you know, if there's an opportunity to correct those perceptions, step up and, and take it. How about the media though? Again, coming back to the media, when you know they, they take the well in what they see as the well intention of um, people with an anti-alcohol argument, um, you know, and, and go softly. Um, you know, I, I found particularly around the pregnancy labelling um, debate and the fetal alcohol syndrome, found myself screaming at the radio on occasion um, when some of the uh, assertions were unchallenged. Um, but it's such a vexed topic that no one wants to see uh, fetal alcohol in you know uh, uh, occurring. But there was no media asking, well, will these labels do anything or are the people who are, you know, is, is the issue unrelated to awareness of the issue? Yeah, and, and that's, that's, it is a highly emotional debate that you know, all of these areas are. Mm. Um, and, and you're right, trying to get that balance is, is always a bit of a challenge and making sure that you know, journalists who are very time poor um, I'm not saying this about your profession, of course, because I'm sure you're well researched. Matt. Oh, well, well it, it, it's that's the thing. Like we we deal in it every day, and it, you know, whereas generalist um, mainstream media don't have the depth of awareness, you know, depth of understanding of some of the the, the topics. Yeah, and that and that's our role, right? We've still, we, I think we we have improved, so we're getting our name and getting our our side of the story into those uh, into those articles a lot more readily. But it, you know. It's uh, we've got a lot of lot, lot more work to be done in that space. I have to admit. And do you have any like? Are there any pro alcohol campaigns? Because uh, again, when you've got Drinkwise looking at um, the safe drinking campaign, um, are there campaigns in the wings that celebrate some of those positives that uh, moderate amounts of alcohol can uh, can bring? Well, we're fortunate in that a, a, you know, a large chunk of our advertising as a collective industry does talk to those positive moments and the and that social cohesion that we sort of bring. Um, interestingly, though, that that idea that you've just mentioned has come up. Um, it has been part of my discussions with a number of our, the members and various people in the industry for a long period of time. Um, so we've got it on our work plan to do a little bit more thinking around what that could look like. So. Um, I can't say watch this space. It's something we're doing a little bit more work to try and uh, investigate whether there is something we could collectively run. Well, I'd be very interested to see how that goes because uh, I know that the that the beer industry had plans to have a you know the, the two big players had plans to do a uh, collegiate approach and it always breaks down <laughs> in, in 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 the end. So, uh, given that you're dealing across sectors, uh, I, I wish you every uh, luck <laughs> getting that one across. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, do you, do you have any, uh, you know, um, campaigns or anything that are coming up you know, on a lobbying perspective, uh, given that you, you don't deal with tax, but, um, you know, what is the day-to-day work of uh, the ABA? Oh, the, the big one on our agenda at the moment is there's a, a big review into Food Standards Australia New Zealand. Um, and for your listeners, they might recall that, that that's the body that uh, that landed the decision on pregnancy warning label. Mm. 
Um, and they were also the ones who made, if you follow the news, you might have seen that they, they're they also the one who put the star rating on fruit juice at a, a, a lower level than for soft drinks. So we're a bit concerned that this review is going to push them more and d- more deeply into that preventative and public health arena. Um, there is a decision, there's a basically it's a regulatory impact statement has been prepared for the government on some of the recommendations going forward. And the ones that we're most concerned about is a big push to change food standards into this preventative health body. And also, bizarrely, there's a recommendation for it to get into food and farm sustainability, which uh, none of us can understand where that's come from. But um, so that's where they're looking to, to force food standards to change. And for us, that's that's a bit of a worry because it's obviously a massive expansion of their remit into an area where there's plenty of other bodies who already you know, are responsible for that. Um, but it also takes their eye off the main game, which is which is the safety of our food and beverages, and and that's our global reputation. Australia stands head and shoulders above many other countries because of the safety of our food system, um, and for us to lose that laser-like focus is uh, is a massive risk to our reputation. So we're doing a lot of the work at the moment to uh, to try and make the government understand that our concerns about a move into that area. Um, and uh, and it's taking up not just us, but it, it's across the the food and beverage sector. So, you know, food and grocery council farmers, we're talking with all of those bodies at the moment about it. Um, so that's obviously the big one. The other one is uh, is around is it sort of falls out of the vision, which is well the work that's going on with exports, with tourism and R and D that's taking place in this country. And um, we're just trying to support our industry tell those stories as best they can. Well, we'll certainly uh, watch out with interest. And uh, the one thing I actually should ask is, uh, earlier this week, you sent out the first edition of a new newsletter that the Alcohol Beverages Association is sending out. A lot of our audience, uh, you know, substantial part of our audience, are industry. Are they able to subscribe to any of your newsletters to stay up to date with uh, what the ABA is doing on behalf of the whole alcohol industry? Yeah, spot on. Um, anyone who wishes to uh, can visit our website, um, alcoholbeverageaustralia.org.au, uh, there's a click, there's a link there for uh, contact, and you can sign up to the newsletter there. So we started it off. We had a great response from the industry trying to support us on the pregnancy warning label campaign and writing into their local ministers, and we captured a fair few uh, addresses from the industry as a part of that. Um, so we're looking to obviously grow. Uh, our communications to the industry, and uh, and obviously it'll help us in the future for for future campaigns where we where we sort of need to call on the industry when when we've got a, a major case or a major issue that we need their help on. So if you can direct your listeners, uh, that'd be love. That'd be very big support for us if you're able, if the people are able to sign up. Absolutely, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. So, uh, well, Andrew Wilson, thank you very much for joining us uh, for this conversation about alcohol, um, uh, something a little bit broader than beer. And uh, no, I've, I've appreciated your time. Absolute pleasure, Matt. Thank you. And that was Andrew Wilsmore. If you would like to subscribe to the newsletter, and it's got lots of interesting information if you are in the industry, you can find a link in the show notes. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Crime Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Crime Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner in the brew house, and they are our premium brewing partner in the recording studio, making these conversations possible.